You are listening to episode 34 of the Remind Yourself podcast. Welcome to the Remind Yourself podcast, the podcast for physician moms just like you who want to ditch mom guilt, stop yelling, and start enjoying their lives today. I'm your host, Michelle Chestovich, certified life coach, family physician, and mom of four. If you want to overcome overwhelm for once and for all, this is the place for you. Hello, Mama Docs. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. So September is the month of mental health awareness, suicide awareness, in fact. And this coming Friday, 9-17, is National Physician Suicide Awareness Day. I will be speaking at a couple of different hospitals in honor of my sister and raising awareness and giving some ideas of where I think change needs to be made. I am so pleased that today I have a most wonderful interview to share with you. Robin Simon is a two-time Emmy Award winner. She's an accomplished writer, producer, and director. Her most recent documentary is called Do No Harm, Exposing the Hippocratic Hoax. And she digs in to the epidemic of physician suicide. She talks about why she think is happening, and she gives us some ideas of where to go from here. I am so delighted to have her as a guest today. I am hoping that this conversation helps to continue to raise awareness of this problem and helps to start a conversation on where we should go. Please enjoy the conversation. All right, everybody, I have quite an impressive treat for you today. I am so honored to have with me as a guest, Robin Simon. I will let her introduce herself, but I will just tell you that she is an award-winning writer, producer, director. Her most recent film is Do No Harm that many of us are familiar with. So, so glad to have you here, Robin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michelle. It's great to be here and with all the physician moms and everyone else who's listening. Um, yes, I started off as a TV news reporter and then worked for PBS as a producer and senior producer and then independently. And yeah, I picked up a few awards along the way. And Do No Harm is uh, a project that I'm most passionate about. I started in 2014 um, when this friend of mine sent me this op-ed piece from the New York Times about these two young doctors who jumped from the roofs of their hospitals within a week of each other. And I come from a family of physicians. My grandfather was a physician, my uncle, surgeon in New Jersey, two cousins at the Cleveland Clinic. This was like a shock to me. They, they are the pillars of my family never spoke about mental health, stress, depression, burnout. I mean, it just never came up. And so I approached my uncle and I said, you know, um, have you ever heard? He goes, oh yeah, I, I know many, many physicians who have died by suicide. Why? It just sent me on this mission to find out why these young, brilliant people who have their whole futures ahead of them would think that the logical solution to their problems was to jump. I had to know why, and I had to be part of the solution. 
Yes. Well, (laughs) so grateful that you took that mission on. I was going to ask you, but you answered it so beautifully. How did you get interested in this work? So definitely when you hear things like that, like how can this be happening? You want to dig in. So this started back several years ago. Tell me about that. Where did you get started in investigating this? So, you know, the biggest challenge, Michelle, was to find physicians and medical students who would talk. Because as you know, uh, being part of the profession, uh, there's a lot of fear about retaliation. Uh, You know, you work so hard, you don't want to do anything that could jeopardize your future. And that starts in medical training, you know, tough to get into medical school. You want to match to a residency when you're in residency. You have all these people who could ruin your career and kick you out of the program. Then when you're in attending, you could lose your job. I mean, there's just so much fear going on that uh, you can imagine how difficult it was to find subjects that would share. And you can't do a film unless you have people courageous people willing to tell their stories. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not courageous because you don't want to share your story. It just means that in order for us to shine a light on this problem, that we need to have courageous people willing to just bear their souls. So it was tough. It was a year and a half of trying to find uh, doctors and medical students who would talk. It's really pulling back the curtain on what's happening for the first time. Because remember, this was 2014. Now there's been a little bit more conversation about burnout, even suicide, and of course with COVID, uh, you know, we're hearing a little bit more about suicide and depression and burnout. Uh, But back in 2014, no one wanted to speak about it. And I reached out to Dr. Pamela Weibel, who I call my um, Erin Brockovich of the story. She's on a mission to expose the high rate of suicide and what she terms as abuse in medical training and beyond. So uh, she has an incredible following. She's like the Pied Piper for many medical students. And, you know, because she's not afraid. She's a a family practitioner in Oregon. So, you know, she doesn't have a master. So she's not afraid to speak her mind. And uh, she's very passionate. So through her and her network of people, we happen to identify parents first who lost uh, their um, son to suicide. And then right after that, a medical student who attempted suicide that she was going to introduce to these parents who just lost their son. So the medical student attempted in third year, and now he was in his fourth year. And the parents who just lost their son, same age. And they were going to meet for the first time at the parents' house. And it was going to be an opportunity for the mother to ask her son, in a sense, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to us? What did we do wrong? What did we do? I thought we were a happy family. I mean, of course, she knew she was speaking to Hawkins, you know, this other man. I said I had to be there for for this. Would would they allow this? Because then I had a film. Yes, that was very moving. I watched your film earlier this this summer. And yeah, that was a very moving, moving part. 
that was the first scene that we shot. So once we had that, uh, I knew between Pamela's story, Dr. Weibel, the parents following them through their grief turned into action for legislation to change medical training. And then Hawkins, Meekum, who's really, you know, the main subject, what's fascinating about his journey that a lot of people don't know is that I was going to end the film after he graduated from medical school, you know, happy ending after a suicide attempt. And what happened was after the graduation, which we filmed, which you saw, um, we heard that he was in his residency in upstate New York was amazing that he even got a residency considering an attempt could have been because of the film that he got a placement, but he just had a very proactive mentor Anyway, we heard that he was suicidal again in his residency. Mm. And so I went up to see him with Pamela Weibel. So those scenes that you see in his uh, the house yep. and the hospital during his residency, where you see, you know, months later, he started his residency and you see how terrible he looks. That was new. We weren't, you know, so that's the incredible thing about documentary films. You you think it's going to end and go one way, but then it, it suddenly takes you in another direction. And as you see what happened, he was in terrible shape and he needed to make a decision, his life or trying to get through residency, this very toxic, abusive program that he was in or abusive for him. Well, I think that's so true for many. I mean, thankfully, we, you know, not all the people who go through residency have suicidal ideation. And yet we know it's very demanding. We know changes need to be made. So again, I just want to thank you for shining a light on the fact that there is a big problem. I mean, why are physicians dying at twice the rate of our peers? And particularly physician women as a woman and who, you know, helps other physician women, why are we dying at, you know, two and a half to three times the rate? Of course, there's societal pressures and our own self-induced pressures and things. But you really dug in to see what was going on in the institutions of medicine, right? In our training, medical school and residency and how that very much affects us. And so I just have a question. What did you see as, I know there's not just one thing that needs work, but if something really stood out to you as a, ah, this is an area that needs either further investigation and or this is an area that is like has low hanging fruit as an opportunity for improvement? I think it's a great question. And there are many things that can be done. One is a big thing, which is systemic change, which takes mountains to move and a long process, you know, could be 20 years, incrementally changing the system. And how do we do that? That's a big debate. And everyone is sort of It's so interesting, Michelle, that it used to be, well, as you saw in the film, the AMA would say, well, we need to make physicians more resilient. So, and, and, you know, less burned out. So here, we're going to give you these modules that you can do online and you can type in and check your resiliency, build your resiliency. And that was the solution. It was about the individual. Yes, which I just have to say is going to make me scream. I don't know. You know, we don't need to be more resilient. We are the most resilient people on the face of this earth. On the planet. Exactly. It's very shaming to be told that we're the problem and we just need to be a little stronger, you know, get up a little earlier, try a little harder. So interesting that that was an attempt 
but that was the like, attempt. Okay, nice try. Now what? Now, right now, there. In fact, we just finished this uh, ending physician burnout summit with you know, sixty top leaders uh, of the field. And in looking at all the the speakers and what they were talking about, we're finally getting around to the fact where it's organizational change that yes. needs to take place. So it just it takes time. So so that was it. It was the shaming at first, and you know modules and making doctors feel even more guilty because they weren't completing these modules online, and and that was craziness. More yoga. This not that yoga's bad. Yoga's right. great. Yoga's wonderful, uh, but it doesn't solve burnout. It doesn't solve the problem. In fact, I went to one conference and uh, I reported to them. You know what the biggest help to reduce burnout of all the millions that are spent on studying burnout. You know what they found to be the best help when it came to reducing burnout? Time off. Wow. Giving physicians time to get their lives together a little bit, a little breathing room, just time off. It's flexibility in schedules. And I'm sure everyone listening, you know, would say, yeah, I just, I just need a little time. I just need like a half a day during the week to just sort of get myself together. Yes. And to not feel guilty and working with physician moms, there's such guilt. I hate to even ask because then it's going to cause more, you know, work for my partners. Right. Maternity leave is a huge problem in our country. Women feel guilty. Um, We unfortunately had another recent loss in the Twin Cities, um, a woman who was going to be going back from maternity leave. Like there is a problem in the system and yeah, time doesn't fix all, but like, wouldn't that be lovely if we could have the not even the courage, but just to be able to do it and not feel bad about it. Like it's okay. We I are humans. Right. We do sometimes need to go to the doctor or we do need to rest if we're sick. Like, yes, take the time that we need. There was a doctor. It's not in the film, uh, but it's part of the DVD that we have. And it's part of the extra features. I think that that's on the website. There was a young female physician who was diagnosed with cancer And her supervisor said, well, do you want to be a patient or a physician? And she was like confused. She said, you mean I can't be both? (laughs) Physicians can't be patients. And she went from being this happy-go-lucky doctor, you know, always, you know, helpful and loved by everyone, to when she walked down the hall, she was like, had the plague. She was afraid, you know, that people were afraid that they'd have to cover her shift. So they didn't want to get too close for her, you know, wow. to her. So that's how people make you feel in medicine. That's the stigma. And that's part of what needs to change. And how you change that is one by talking about it. When they see people like you and other physicians who are willing to talk about mental health, yeah, it yeah. normalizes it. And, and that's, it, it just takes time to normalize physician hearing. In 2014, to hear a doctor speak about mental health was an, a no-no, just some taboo topic. So the more it, it becomes normal, the more uh, it'll be acceptable to ask for time off. And it, it's more than that. You need institutions to cover. To get time off, you need to hire more physicians yes. to cover you that's 
they need to come around to this realization. And that's, that's the challenge. It's the money. It always yes, yes, the money. almighty dollar, right? <laughs> but we physicians are very driven. We're very high achievers. Of course, we're doing great. And we've done so much for so long. I'm sure they, when I say they, like, right, I don't know if it's hospitals or administrators think, well, you know, they've been able to keep, keep at it. And what I want people to hear, not only through your amazing documentary that really shone a light on this, but with this pandemic, I think that it's only going to be worse. I mean, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg and I'm hearing already from coaching clients of mine that their hospitals are having them do more, their scribes are being taken away and Mm. like the heat is being turned up. So I fear, I I guess I'm hopeful and I fear that um, physician uh, mental health is not in a great place. But I am hopeful because we are finally talking about it pretty regularly, I think. Maybe it's just my circles, but I think that it is becoming something that it's like, it's okay to talk about. It's okay to normalize the fact that we see trauma every day. Perhaps we should get some help in dealing with that. What is your thought on that? Yeah, first of all, that you know, in terms of other fixes, things that can be done besides the systemic changes Each hospital can do things that don't cost a lot of money. Each practice can do something that doesn't cost money, such as, you know, how do you increase morale? Well, you can increase morale by feeling heard, by feeling that you're really part of a team, that the team cares and changes can happen because your voice is heard. So there was a hospital uh, in Delaware, Christiana Care Health System that I went to. They had something called the quick fix. And they went around to each department. So if you have a small practice that could be on an individual basis, what can we do to make your life easier, better? And so it wasn't like someone emailing the head of HR, this is a problem, and they would never do it. This was a de- This is a department by department, floor by floor everyone saying what what could just make it better and for example one floor had this phone that was incessantly ringing from the outside and they felt obligated to answer the phone and it just disrupted their routine their train of thought and so admin had this phone rerouted to an operator that was it didn't cost a lot of money, but everyone felt, wow, we were listened to. They actually did something. It could be a supply of thermometers. It could be new blood pressure, you know, uh, equipment. It could be, you know, anything. Let's do a, a new, you know, record system. It could be whatever it is. It's feeling heard. Like we matter. Yes. I have value. So every clinic every hospital, every medical school, everyone can do a quick fix for their people and watch how it boosts morale. Oh my gosh, I love that. And that's such a simple step. People can go back after listening to this and say, hey, I've got this neat idea. Who do we talk to? Where do we get started? And if if it seems like too much of an uphill battle to go to someone on the top, like we can start it, right? This right. is what I want to do is empower my listeners too. Like, well, I'm not the administrator. No, but you can go around and ask your partners, hey, what would make our day just a little bit easier? Yeah. I'm struggling right now with this. Number one, it normalizes it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and when it's done by a whole department, by a group, you know, then not one person is sticking their neck out and in fear that they now have a target on their back. It, it's right. a group. It's a group decision. Uh, and another thing that can be done is, you know, don't wait for a bad outcome uh, to have peer counseling, to get together. So they've done studies where every other week uh, you have a get together and you can drop in. And if you've lost a patient or, you know, even something going on in your own life that, that you have every other week, you can drop in to this session and just talk. Now, of course, you don't, you're not going to have supervisors there, um, but of your peers, and you can talk or just be a supportive listener. Maybe at first, you're just a supportive listener to see how the trust is in the group. So having regular um, counseling sessions is so helpful because a lot of times what happens is when they have, let's say, a suicide at a hospital, they'll say, well, this happened at, uh, you know, one of the Northville hospitals in New York. Well, Tuesday from two to three, there will be a psychologist in the chapel if you'd like to talk. Yeah, that's nobody's seems, going. Yeah, that's exactly right. We need to normalize it. And I love what you said because I do think that community is also very beneficial, right? To know that I'm not alone makes us dealing with stress so much better. I'm not the only one who's struggling right now. I think that that community normalizes it. I love the idea of something real regular that people can drop into. I personally, as a coach and seeing the benefits that have been even shown in JAMA that coaching can be beneficial to reduce burnout, I guess my dream is that that just becomes a regular part of our care. I mean, taking care of ourselves so we can best take care of our patients. And again, I know that I'm biased as a coach having that, but I'm like, but it's a solution. We know that it works. It's not crazy expensive. And it's going to empower the physicians to be able to stand up for what they need more quickly than the whole system changing. Yes, the system needs to change, but I do think these small iterative changes that you're mentioning are a way to feel like you're moving forward and not that you're just like stuck. The internet, you know, social media has helped bring people together because before this, you know, I always describe physicians as islands. You yes. know, you, you go to work, you do your rounds or you see your patients, you get on the phone and fight with insurance companies and you're charting and you're, and then you go home and take care of your family um, and, and then you do it all over again the next day. So there's no time for community building. And that, that's what needs to change. And fortunately, social media at least is allowing people to get together through forums and listservs and, you know, all, all these different groups that are forming that at least for a half hour, you can jump online and feel like you're part of a community. I know with the screenings, that we've had across the country at hospitals and medical schools. You know, I see the chat lines, even since COVID, you know, we did virtual screenings and the chats would be just blowing up with people just communicating with each other yeah. and, and sharing. And it was really wonderful. And then they would continue offline on their own. And so that feeling of community is so important. And 
doctors are just, you know, one of the groups that just don't have that. And that's what needs to change to talk about what we can do together yes. and what we can do as individuals. But that sense of community has always been lacking. You know, the doctor with the black medical bag, you know, male or female going to do house calls and then with patients, it's just been a lonely profession. And I know in my family, my uncle, um, you know, felt very alone. He was a surgeon. He would lose patients. And I said to him, you know, I asked him, what do you do? You know, when you lose a patient, you know, you have your colleagues that you can talk to. He said, no, I, I had to find my own way to cope. I said, mm. how, how horrible that you can't lean on someone who's going through the same experience. Right. Because you're not alone. Cool. Because you certainly, you know, your spouse, your husband, you know, your kids, they don't quite understand what it's like to lose a patient, but your colleagues do. So why not be able to lean on them? It's such a special bond that you share in caring for people, life and death in your hands. We should lean on on that for physicians to help get you through these difficult emotional times. Yes, I agree with you 100%. I mean, we as humans are wired for connection and attachment. And when we're doing our work, kind of like you mentioned, on our own, um, and maybe we do come together, but again, we might have thoughts that we're the only ones who are struggling. So I think to have those times where we can come together and support one another is definitely a step in moving forward, which is is there, first of all, before I say like, where are we going? I mean, we're talking about a little bit where to go from here. Anything more about shining the light on this problem? I mean, I think your documentary did a wonderful job. And when you mentioned earlier that, you know, there was a continuation at the end, my thought is like, when is going to be part two? Because I see that this is an ongoing continuation, but anything else that we should know, my listeners should know about this problem and shining a light on the awareness of the physician suicide epidemic, I guess I'd call it in our, in our medical community. Well, shining a light on something in medicine has been in darkness and it's uh, it, this has been the big problem. And I remember when I was setting up interviews, I couldn't get an interview with the AMA or the ACGME or the AAMC, you know, to talk about They They said, this isn't, Something, something we need to be commenting on. Wow. Really? Physicians? Uh, well-being? How could you say you shouldn't be commenting on this? I mean, I'm a producer with PBS and, you know, credentials. I mean, you know, this is, an, this is going to be an important documentary. You don't think you should be part of this? Yeah. Silence. And it wasn't until Daryl Kirch from the AAMC agreed to an interview um, that all of a sudden I got a call back from the ACGME and the, and the AMA and they agreed to sit down to, to participate. But that silence, that silence has been the challenge. I see this changing. I see this changing little by little. And it's, um, it's encouraging. It's encouraging to me. But we have to talk about it. Because I know when I've tried to show this film to some medical schools and they, one dean said to me, well, what do we need to show this film for? We're, we're the survivors. Oh, my like, goodness. Like, 
I mean, I didn't even know how to respond to that. You mean, because you're still alive? Like, you don't think there are people suffering who are going to your medical school? Even the top students at the top medical schools, the top physicians that are attendings, uh, most burnout, we just did a, st a study with Cerbo that attending physicians felt that real burnout was happening as attending physicians, not in residency and not in medical school. I was surprised to see that. Wow. So uh, practicing physicians are in a lot of trouble. And to think that just because you're alive today that you don't have a problem, that is the most ignorant thing I've ever heard. So it's combating that kind of ignorance that we just, you know, have to march on through. Yeah, that's shocking to me. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go knock on this gentleman's door. But that's all right. I'm going to be feisty and knock on all kinds of doors. <laughs> but I do find it interesting, the attending piece. This is a fact that I learned after my sister died. She was a new attending, I think a couple years out. And from physician that I work with who does a lot of work with trauma and um, physicians, she mentioned, and again, I don't know what the exact statistic is, but like the first six years out in practice were at higher risk. In residency and medical school, they're challenging years for sure. And there's suicide and mental um, illness. And yet I think, I don't know if it's because there's more support and we're trying, I don't know, but there's something about getting out into the quote unquote real world as an attending. And now you see a big disparity between yourself and someone who's maybe been practicing for 15 years. You feel a little more alone. I mean, some people do, they feel more alone. They feel isolated. They have all those thoughts of like, I'm not good enough. I hate to even ask for help. All these things that just can get you down day after day. Even the suicidal ideations is bad enough. You know, wishing that you would get into, I've so many, especially female physicians that I've interviewed, like fantasizing about driving their car into yes. a median. Um, I mean, just to get off the merry-go-round of, of their lives. That's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking to hear Yes, uh, I've heard that too. Like, I hope I get hit by a semi when I go through this four-way stop. It absolutely breaks your heart. And it's a sign that there's a big problem still. So again, yeah. I love that you're sharing this message and saying that there's hope. That feels really good to me to know that you think that there's some hope. Um, I have to say, watching the documentary just this past summer after I lost my sister, I thought to myself, this is still going on. Why is change not happening? This, this family was trying to make legislative change. I'm like, we're still talking about that today in Minnesota, changing the wording in our, um, you know, applications for the board, yeah, whether or not we had or yeah. have mental illness. So part yeah. of me is like, come on, what is taking so long? And yet it does take some time. It's a, even though the national board is recommending that all states change that wording, still it is a state-by-state state decision. And so some states are slow to change. And of course, it's political because some patient safety groups may say, oh, this is, you know, going to be a risk for oh. our patients. When that's just, that's not true at all. There's more risk for patients if a physician feels that he or she cannot get help. Yes, that's 100%. To you as a patient, I'd rather have a physician who is being treated for depression or whatever they're experiencing than having a physician who feels that they cannot get treatment. I, I mean, yeah, it doesn't on. really make sense when you think about it. 
with a broadened perspective, right? So, I mean, I just thought that was interesting. Like, great, we're trying to make some change. And yet I feel like, are we walking through quicksand? And probably to make big changes does take time. So then again, I go back to the individual. I have some thoughts about that. Anything that you have to share with my listeners? Because I know uh, folks that listen are going to say, this is this is work that needs to be, you know, I want to get on the bus. What can we do? Any way that I can get involved? Any thoughts on that? I really think that you have to look at your own community. Like you said, you know, the partners in your group, your initial group that is close to you, that you trust and grow this group uh, to then approach those powers that be, whoever, or whoever is the decision maker, whether it's a clinic and, you know, or, or if it's a hospital and there's a C-suite that you, you, you need to form like a little coalition. I love it. It's like a grassroots instead of waiting for the system to change, waiting around, feeling hopeless and like a victim. Hey, let's come together. Talk about some yeah. things that might be beneficial for us. Yeah. You should not feel like, oh, easy to say, but you know, there's nowhere for me to go. I'm on, I, I'm on my own here. No, you would be surprised in, in every city, at every clinic, at every hospital, there are people who feel like you do and who want and crave community. So you just need to seek them out and then talk about what can we do? Is it a quick fix that we can approach, you know, the board with or our partners with or the, the admin with? You know, what, what are some small, simple things that don't cost a lot of money that we can suggest as our little group here? So it's forming these little groups, these little mini support groups and, and growing that group, but never feel like you are alone. That's how you've been trained to think. Yeah. And it's understandable, but you can change that because it's, it's not reality that you're alone. Right. And it's very, I'd say it's very dangerous, you know, to be isolated and feel like you're not doing a good job and you're all alone and there's no one to talk to that gets to be a very dangerous place. So I love what you're saying is create this community, talk amongst yourself. I would just add, because again, everything now goes through the lens of what would help would have helped my sister because we didn't know would be just to ask those hard questions that maybe you don't think you need to maybe share, Hey, I'm struggling with this. How are you doing? Right. How are you really doing? We get into this like superficial. Right. Right. How are you? But maybe just say like, what's been tough for you this week? And and you're right, Michelle. And what's interesting is how do you start those conversations? Well, you start the conversations by sharing. Yes. You, know, you create this relatedness and how you create relatedness is by sharing yourself. So mm-hmm. if you and, you know, your siblings speak with each other, uh, you know, about you, how you're feeling, or even early on acknowledging, you know, this is a problem in our profession. Uh, I'm feeling this too. I, this is what happened to me last week. Can you believe this? And, and, you know, what, what can be done? You know, uh, what are some solutions? And then taking those solutions and then sharing them with other people. Yeah, that kind of sharing of oneself 
because you definitely don't want to say just to someone, are you okay? Are you all right? Right. right. It's, no. It's sort of, yeah. They're going to put up some walls and That's back away. That's scary. Is, is yeah. this like, you know, they'll feel, is this a trap? Why are they asking me this? Is this going to come back to haunt me? No, you have to be vulnerable yourself. Yeah. And then you can really create a trust to then form this community support group and then grow from there. And then the ripple effect hopefully will continue to grow. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) And I can't wait, I mean, not to like give you work to do, but like to see (laughs) how this evolves because I think that we're at a pretty unique place. And again, I'm just new on this side of in losing my sister to suicide, understanding more about the statistics and really digging in. But I'm hopeful that things hopefully are going to start making a change for the better because I think people are kind of fed up. Like this is enough. We've dedicated a lot of years to help other people. It's time to start healing the healer. And if we have to start with ourselves and our community, so be it. And then eventually we can encourage the system to catch up. Yeah. I mean, were there signs that looking back with your sister? I mean, she you know, had little kids and she was working full time and was, you know, sort of a uh, multi, it wasn't just one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, in retrospect, you can see a little bit more clearly. I personally think that that last week that she was alive, she had just come off a call weekend, was utterly exhausted, had just worked 36 hours over the weekend. The following day, she didn't get any rest because she's overly tired and exhausted and just kept going. And it was just, you know, underlying anxiety that she was being treated for and just the stress of little kids and exhaustion and just like one little thing after another. I think she was just, you know, working hard to keep her head above water until all of a sudden she was running toward this cliff that she didn't know was there. So, and I think the isolation of the pandemic, you know, she was a radiologist and so her work is already quite isolating, but the fact that we're all trying to stay safe and separate from each other at work contributed, right? She wasn't interacting with her colleagues, even as Minimally as maybe she used to, she wasn't even that much anymore. So I think it was just like, unfortunately, this horrible storm that that yeah. occurred. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we did take the film to Northwell and, and it was like 15 clinics, they posted a, a little sign, you know, do no harm screening coming. And someone, one of the physicians called the CFO at the hospital and said, oh, I see you're having the screening. I've had suicidal thoughts and they got him help. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just that vulnerability that we're talking about that your sister felt like, you know, this is just, this is a train. She can't get off this. There's no, you know, she's just forever. She's looking at her life and she's not seeing a way to get off this. Not even for a day. I mean, the last okay. time I talked to her was a few days before she died and she was so overly tired and exhausted. And I said, sweetie, I think you just need a day off. Like, I think you need a sick day. Oh, I just can't do that. I just can't. Right. We're short. So this was mm-hmm. like the under, uh, you know, the theme running in the background of her mind on top of all the other things being very driven and perfectionistic and afraid she was going to make a stake, focusing so hard you know, sitting for 17 hours in a row, looking at films, that's hard work. Yeah. Drinking all the caffeine and eating all the sugar to stay focused. My thought is too, that like needs to be a warning sign. I know in your film, yeah. 
you documented, you know, the sleep exhaustion. And I'm familiar with Dr. Sunny Smith. She is a fellow physician coach who's amazing, changing the world for a lot of physician women. But the fact that you documented in this documentary that she was like in status epilepticus. She had a seizure. She was completely healthy before that. And that the neurologist told her, oh yeah, we see this all the time, resident seizing. I mean, who's responsible for this? Yeah, it's unacceptable. Yeah, and and until the organization, you know, steps up, you really have to take care of yourself. Yes. And you 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 can't feel the fear that you're going to get fired if you take a day off. You have to, you know, you have to demand uh, that. And until physicians, especially female physicians, start demanding that. Um, they're, they're going to be used and abused, the more piled on, because they feel like you've been overachievers since you were in kindergarten. And administrators know that, and you're not going to say no. It's always going to be, yes, I can. So they take advantage of that. Um, but it's just not sustainable. So, yeah, you can't feel guilty about No, it's. But it's a big problem, which again, as a physician coach is what I'm trying to like plant the seeds to these women. We've been trained one way to always say yes, always do more that in fact, you can still be an amazing physician, an amazing mom and decide what's right for me. So it's going to take some time, but I do think that empowering um, physicians in general to think about themselves as human and what do I need is, is a great place to start. And and just one more thing, Michelle, that it's not one day off. Yes. Because when you say that, it's like, okay, but then after that day, I'm going to go back to the same grind. You you need to go back with change in mind and as a plan, you know, that that you can't go back to the same thing. You need to look at it broader. And that's why I say, you know, community, how do we change this? Like this grind, you know, is not sustainable group. Um, and one day off is not going to change it. It just means when I go back, I'm going to have that much more to do. Yes. You know, that it sounds like you've starts. been in our lives, you know, <laughs> you know, but what I'm hearing from you is that the community is a helpful starting place. And so, you know, I invite all my listeners to go and talk to their colleagues and share and yeah talk together about, you know, how can we move forward as a team? And again, knowing that there are others outside trying Mm -hmm. to do the work too, right? You are doing amazing work. You're going to the heads of these hospitals, sharing this message. So I really think that it's going to be a two-prong approach, probably more than two, but like coming from above as well as a grassroots effort. So um, as far as watching your film, that is amazing. Can you please share with people where they can see this and to, if they want to bring a a screening to their organization, how do we go about doing that? Yeah. The best way, if you want to bring a screening to your organization, whether it's a clinic or women's group, um, hospital, medical school, whatever conference coming up, just email us at info at do no harm film.com info at do no harm film.com. The website is do no harm film. You can watch the full feature film. Uh, the best way to get to it is if you go to the website, do no harm film, you can either connect on Amazon. So it's available on Amazon or on Vimeo on demand. The Vimeo On Demand has some extra features too, some panel discussions. We have 
uh, some, you know, like a d deleted scenes that are available. Also, you can get a DVD that has the deleted scenes. But, um, you know, and there are also some resources on there too, on the website. So Amazon, Vimeo On Demand, and info at Do No Harm Film if you'd like to schedule a screening. We do a 30-minute version for Grand Rounds. And we also have a 60-minute version for hospitals that focuses mostly on hospitals. It still has, you know, Hawkins and, you know, the main characters, but it, it's a little bit more geared towards hospitals. And that length of 60 minutes gives folks like an hour uh, to then have a panel discussion afterwards. So it's a nice two-hour block of time where the full feature is 85 minutes. So... Um, so you've got all those options, 30 minutes, 60 minutes for group screening, and then individually watching the full feature on Amazon or uh, well, Vimeo. I think that sounds amazing. And again, for my listeners who've not yet watched this documentary, I highly advise it. Do no harm. Um, exposing the Hippocratic Oath, yeah? yeah? And I think, again, because I love to give my listeners a little bit of a challenge, is to get together with your colleagues and say, hey, maybe we should have a little gathering. Maybe we'll have a little wine and cheese night and sit and watch yeah. this film and start the discussion because that's where it begins, having a discussion. I can't believe this is going on. Have awareness and talk about what little baby steps can we take moving forward. So yeah. you created an amazing documentary that's a great, raising great awareness, Robin, and I thank you tremendously. Thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. I hope that you've learned something that you can take back and discuss with your colleagues. As I've previously said, we have a huge problem in our medical culture, and it needs to stop now. And it can begin with all of us checking in with ourselves and checking in with our colleagues and making one small step towards improvement. In honor of healthcare lives lost during this past year, if you are in Minnesota, I invite you down to the state capitol on Thursday, 9-16 at 7 p.m. We will be having a vigil in honor of healthcare workers who've lost their lives. I will be honoring my sister Gretchen, and there's another Mama Physician, that we'll be honoring that evening. Please, if you are not able to join us in Minnesota, light a candle at 8 p.m. Central. Send out some love to the families who've lost their loved ones. We can make a difference. We need to work together and help one another. And if you are in need of immediate help, please call the Physician Support Line at one 888 4090141 It is staffed by psychiatrists and they help all physician colleagues and medical students navigate the many intersections of our personal and professional lives. Please take care of you. And until next week, peace and love to you. Are you ready to take control of your life and put these tools into action? I'm here to help. I offer free consultations for physician moms to see if my one-on-one -on -one coaching package is right for you. You can sign up for a free consult at www.mamadoclifecoach.com.